0: Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Now, today we are bringing you an episode that we have had so, so many requests for. And we have wanted to cover it for a long time. We just finished the Maura Murray series on our Patreon, so we thought now would be a great time to bring you the Molly Fish case, which some believe is connected To Maura Murray. I'm ready to see. Maddie's ready. I just woke Maddie up. (laughs) It's like almost 10 o'clock in the morning. I have been up since 3 today. By the way, apparently me being active on social media at 3 in the morning, everybody's like, what are you doing? Why are you up? You're just responding to people's DMs at 3 a.m. I literally responded to all of our emails at 3 a.m. this morning. Okay,
1: (laughs) so if you get a response from us from the podcast— At ridiculous hours in the morning. It is not because someone is staying up very late and responding to things. It is because my mother has woken up at that time.
0: Yeah, I have a little trouble sleeping sometimes. So I think I woke up for the first time at like 2 a.m. And then I was like, no, I'm not getting out of bed. And then at like 2.30, I was like, nope, I'm still not getting out of bed. And by three, I was like, well, this is fucking stupid. I'm getting out of bed. (laughs) I've been up since three. I've gotten all the kids off to school. I went to the gym, I came back, Maddie's still sleeping. Okay, so Molly Bish. Now, I know a lot of you have probably heard about this case elsewhere, especially if you are a true crime fanatic, but we found lots of information that I had never heard before while researching this case. So, 16-year-old Molly Bish went missing on June 27 of 2000 while lifeguarding at Commons Pond. And the mystery of what happened to her would only get stranger over the years. So Molly was born
1: on August 2nd, 1983. So people were naturally drawn to her and she always strived to include everyone. She played soccer, basketball, and softball and was an honor student and she wanted to someday work with children. The family was originally from Detroit, Michigan but had moved to Warren, Massachusetts when a woman living in their neighborhood had been abducted while walking
0: home from work and had been found murdered. Yeah, and this really made Molly's parents think maybe we should take our children to a safer area to raise them. No. No. Yep. I'm not okay right now. So they moved to Warren. Now, in 1980, Warren was about... 3,777 people so this is a much smaller town than where they're coming from and molly's mother was an elementary school teacher and her dad is a probation officer she also has a sister named heather and a brother named john jr
1: okay so it was the summer of 2000 and molly had just finished her junior year of high school and she had a lifeguarding job at commons pond her brother had worked there for 3 summers before her and he helped train Molly on how to use the radio, set up her station. Molly was really excited to get her lifeguard certification.
0: Yeah, which actually is no easy feat. And I know this because in 2000, you got your lifeguard I got my lifeguarding certificate and it was a bitch. She worked at the YMCA. I was I was a lifeguard. So It's really hard, so it is a sense of accomplishment, at least in our state, when you complete that, because it's awful. I was
1: also an ad
0: for YMCA as a baby. Oh, yeah. They had us both get in the pool and take pictures for advertising for the YMCA. Yep. I saved the newspaper clipping. It's pretty cute. On Tuesday, June 27, Molly finds out that one of her friends was critically injured in a car accident. She had been riding her bike to work when a car struck her. And her mom had actually sat on her bed to tell her the news when she woke her up that morning. Jesus Christ. Friend got struck by a car while riding a bike? Yeah. But at this point, it's too late for Molly to get her shift covered, if there was even anybody to cover her shift. And this was only her eighth day on the job. So she's still relatively new. So she decides that with swim lessons starting that day, that she needed to go into work. Okay, But she's a little distraught at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your friend got struck by a car. Yeah, yeah. So Molly and her mom head out. They stop at the police station to pick up a two-way radio for Molly to use while on duty at the pond. The radio is necessary because the pond is kind of in a secluded area and there are no cell service. If Molly even has a cell phone at this point in her life, I'm not sure. They then stop at a gas station and are seen on security footage at 9:56 and they stopped to grab water before heading to the pond. Molly told her mom that she loved her and she headed off to set up her station. Now, by 10:20, a local woman named Sandra Woodworth arrives at the pond with her kids because they have swim lessons that day, and she discovers that there is no lifeguard on duty. So, Molly's dropped off at About 9.58 because it takes about two minutes to drive from the gas station to the pond. And by 10.20, Molly is gone. She's a lifeguard at a pond? Yeah. It's like a beach. Okay, so this pond, it's like a... Please. It's like a beach. Maddie looks a little confused. (laughs) Well, you said pond, and I'm like, why the fuck is there a lifeguard at a pond? Okay, so it's not like a pond that you would imagine. It looks more like a small lake. And they actually bring sand in to make a sandy beach. It's actually pretty big. I'm not even sure it's technically a pond. It might actually be a lake. It's just called a pond. Now, at the lifeguard station where Molly should be, there is an open first aid kit, a backpack sat on the bench, towel was draped over the back of the chair, and the lifeguard whistle had been wrapped around the arm of the chair. A pair of flip-flops lay in the sand near the chair, a two-way radio, and Molly's lunch. But no sign of Molly. First aid kit opened. Yep. Someone definitely pretended to be injured. That's what I think, too, actually. So, now, not really sure what to do. A mom gets the whistle and kind of just takes over lifeguarding duties. Because they have kids showing up for swim lessons. People are getting in the water... So she decides to just take over lifeguarding. Now, they actually do inform Molly's boss, Ed Fett, that there is no sign of a lifeguard at the pond. But it's more in a, hey, the lifeguard isn't here, not like a alarm, more like a, hey, your lifeguard's flaking out, we don't know where she is kind of situation. Now... Ed uses the two-way radio to relay this to the police at 11.45. Okay. So she's been missing for like at least over an hour. Yep. So now she has been officially missing for more than an hour. Now, there's no sign of struggle at the beach. So police assume that she ran off with friends and just abandoned her post. Which, honestly, for how old is she? 16.
1: Yeah. Honestly, 16-year-old girl, summer job,
0: all that Right, not crazy, but her family and friends kept saying, no, Molly would not have taken off. Something is wrong.
1: Yeah, then police should have been like, oh, okay, okay.
0: Yeah, and it's funny. Ed actually runs into Molly's brother while out running errands after notifying the police and doesn't even mention that Molly was missing from her post. So... Obviously, Ed isn't super concerned at this point either.
1: No, he probably has had lifeguards walk off duty for him. Well, no, because
0: it was her brother for three years before that, who was very reliable. So maybe he's just assuming that Molly's being flaky and doesn't feel the need to inform her brother.
1: Yeah. Okay, so her parents were not contacted until 1 p.m. So this is three hours after she was dropped off. And this is because they thought that she would turn up.
0: Right, I think everybody was just like, oh, she probably just like flaked, like whatever. I mean, still though, that seems crazy with her stuff being there that it took three hours for her parents to be notified. I'm
1: not that surprised. That doesn't surprise me that much. I'm
0: not like, I, I feel like that's pretty. Yeah. And her sister immediately heads home and they start searching for her, calling her friends. They check the hospital where her friend is to make sure that she didn't go there. Yeah. Because she was a little distraught when she had left that day. Her sister went to her boyfriend's house. And at this point, he's just waking up for the day. And he isn't really initially concerned. He's just like, okay. But they all go down to the beach to look for her. Yeah. When her mother gets to the pond and sees Molly's things set up, she becomes hysterical. I mean, at that point, she just has to know, like, in her bones that something is so wrong yeah Ugh. so police start to think that maybe she drowned but the family was
1: sure that that didn't happen
0: but either way her brother actually gets into the water and starts searching for her oh my god i can't like diving searching dredging all of the water and police actually had to physically remove him so that they could send their own divers in but they found nothing yeah So at this point, they are still thinking Molly flaked or Molly drowned. They're not checking the area necessarily for her. I would think an abduction if her stuff set up, first aid kit opened. 100%. So would I. So Molly's mom, Maggie, remembers something that will haunt her for the rest of her days. The day before, when she had dropped Molly off at work, while in the parking lot, she sees a man with a mustache, red flag, sitting in a white car in the parking lot. Now, he's just sitting there smoking a cigarette, and he appears to be watching Molly.
2: And I'm thinking, why is he here? What's he doing? You know, he should be at work 10 o'clock in the morning. And this is a children's beach. Swimming lessons are starting. It didn't make sense.
0: Maggie goes down and hangs out with her daughter while she sets up her station, right? Right. Now, when she gets back to the car, he's still there. And she stares at him until he looks back at her, and then he pulls out and he leaves. Molly had not been worried about the man and just assumed that he was another fisherman. And the following day, when Maggie drops Molly off, there's a sand truck in the lot, and she is relieved that her daughter won't be there alone. You know, the day before had been unnerved a little bit. Uh Now, she does make a composite sketch of this man and said that he was approximately 50 years old with salt and pepper hair, and she remembered that he had dark eyes. And she also said that there was a very specific way that he held his cigarette. So basically, he was like a left-handed smoker, and he kind of held his cigarette with his fingers pointing upward. But it was almost in, like, a rigid way. Like, it caught her attention as a strange way for him to be smoking.
1: A witness would later come forward and say that they had seen a man matching the description, you know, the salt and pepper haired man, Mm -hmm. at the pond just minutes before Maggie and Molly had arrived. And I believe this was the
0: driver of the sand truck. So
1: a local worker also reported a car matching the description of the white car at the cemetery connected to the pond
0: right so there's basically like this trail that goes up from the pond and you can get to a nearby cemetery by taking that trail so an extensive search would be launched state patrol were also brought in because it was a very small town and they really don't have a lot of resources we see this time and time and time and time again yeah it would be one of the largest and most expensive searches for a missing person in Massachusetts at the time. Okay, so, at the time. Sounds like Massachusetts
1: is a place where not many people go missing, and I think... Actually, a fuck ton of people go missing in Massachusetts. Then how is this the most expensive search? I don't know why this is What the fuck are they doing? I'm not moving to Massachusetts. Will not be moving to Massachusetts, and I will not be moving anywhere along the Appalachian Trail. The Appalachian Trail crosses... You're the state, I will not ever be living there. Get out of Massachusetts. Our Massachusetts listeners are going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> just know. like our Tacoma listeners were like, what the fuck was this? That one episode? Well, yeah. I where we Tacoma. just shit on Tacoma for like five full minutes. Sorry, Tacoma. Sorry, one of Massachusetts. Our, one, some guy that lives in Tacoma just had started listening to our podcast. And that just happened to be the first episode that I he know, listened that to. Was rough. And he Sorry. was like, What? Is happen- He was like, I just started listening, but my God, you guys don't
0: like Tacoma. Okay, dogs brought in were able to track Molly's scent to the end of the beach trail. And this would be before the trail reaches the cemetery, which is actually a pretty steep uphill track, by the way. Now, with night falling, there was still no sign of Molly, and the scene was really no help. Because they didn't treat it as a crime scene right away. So any footprints that may have been there, any yeah. anything really that would have been there has been contaminated. Her things have been touched by other people. Her whistle has been used by somebody else. I mean, there's no way the police are going to get anything useful.
1: Yeah, this is one of those that where it's like it's hard because it's really an obnoxious and annoying that they didn't treat it like a crime scene right away. But then I can also see why it didn't get treated as a... Crime scene right away. I mean, like, it definitely should have been. Don't get me wrong. But, like, 16-year-old isn't there for her lifeguard job. But
0: her shoes are there. Her backpack is there. Her lunch is there. Oh,
1: yeah. Someone should have connected the pieces. Someone definitely should have. But I can see why they
0: didn't. See, I don't know. You're letting them off awful easy. I feel like if I was a mom and I showed up at the lake to take my kids to swim lessons and the lifeguard wasn't there... Unless there's a bathroom nearby that has somebody in it, I'm going to be concerned by that scene, personally. Yeah. It's the shoes, though. Yeah, the shoes. It's the shoes that get me, the fucking shoes. Like, nobody's going to leave their shoes behind to even go to the bathroom. That's gross. Don't go in the bathroom barefoot. Nobody does that. They brought in
1: helicopters with infrared and mounted units, And they searched the trail between the pond and the cemetery extensively since someone could have parked there and made it their getaway after snatching her without being seen. So since her first aid kit was open, they thought maybe someone had faked an injury in order to lure her away from her post. Yep. Which would be the perfect lure for a lifeguard or any other type of person. Especially somebody
0: like Molly who's a very helpful person. Well, and you're a
1: lifeguard and someone comes up to you saying they're it's your job
0: yeah exactly
1: Yeah. yeah it is a good ruse but absolutely pathetic so a roadblock was set up in order to ask residents about the man and the vehicle that maggie had seen at the pond roadblocks are kind of pointless at this point like what 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 time could they put
0: those roadblocks in like four well i think the idea was to put the roadblocks up around the same time of day so that they could question anybody that goes by there About whether or not they had seen the car on previous occasions. I don't think the intent was to try to catch him. Okay. Yeah. So, thousands of tips came in, but they did not lead to anything. Police initially wondered if she could have been taken by someone she knew, and they were initially interested in her boss, Ed, and her boyfriend. Now, her boss was the first one on the scene. His fingerprints were found on some of her belongings— but he admitted to using the radio and touching the first aid kit. And then there was her boyfriend, Stephen Lucas, and the couple had only been dating for about three months and had recently just gone to prom together, but they seemed to be getting along and nobody thought they had any issues. Molly's mom described him as a homebody and much quieter than Molly, and she didn't think they were a really good match, but they're young. She's not that worried about it. Now, this is interesting. On the day of Molly's disappearance, when police went to see him, he had a cut on his lip and was missing an eyebrow ring. He claimed that he had run into the door. Police found this suspicious because he had told other people different things. One person he had told that he had a cold sore. Now, he did pass his polygraph, and her family does not think that he was involved. Okay. The cut lip is pretty damning, though. I don't like that. So they
1: looked at local sex offenders and in the course of questioning, eleven failed polygraphs.
0: Right. So they're interviewing all these people, they ask them to voluntarily take polygraphs, and eleven different sex offenders fail the polygraphs.
1: Well it literally could be because they're nervous and they're in a place of police. Right.
0: I mean, who knows? But obviously all 11 of them can't be suspects. So this really isn't super helpful.
1: And we've talked about polygraphs on here before. Not reliable. So they even looked at her dad's old cases, wondering if someone would have wanted
0: revenge. He was a probation officer, by the way. Right. But everybody that he dealt with at work seemed to respect him and like him and they could find no issues there. They also interviewed hunters in the area as well because there are surrounding woods where hunters do go. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And they found nothing. No sign of Molly, nothing. So it's just a big mystery. Molly's missing, no sign of her, nothing. The next thing to happen in the case would be in 2001 when a man named Timothy Gallant, who's a 46-year-old that came under suspicion, when he tried to abduct a 19-year-old in monsoon. Gallant had been following the girl in a white van, and he had got out and grabbed her by the arm. And not only was she able to get away, but she also remembered the license plate number.
1: I don't know how people do that. Good
0: girl. I could never remember a license plate number. I feel like I could remember a license plate number, but when you're already under duress, that would be so hard. Now, he also resembles the sketch... But police have never been able to connect him to Molly's case, and he has no prior criminal history.
1: Uh, So basically, he's just like the perfect match, but there's no way for them to...
0: Right. There's nothing to actually tie him. But it seems like it'd totally be him. I mean, it could be. Okay. And then in 2002, a hunter named Ricky Bordeaux had told his friend Timothy McGugan that he had seen a blue fabric while out hunting. Now, Tim is a former police officer, and he has been working on a book about Holly Peranian and Molly Bish. Now, since Molly had been wearing a blue bathing suit the day she went missing, police thought that it could be connected. Mm -hmm. And this was in the woods of Whiskey Hill in Palmer, a neighboring county. So Tim is able to lead them to the blue cloth, and it turns out to be a bathing suit. The bathing suit was sent in for DNA testing, and it came back as a match to Molly. Another huge search is launched in that area. I also read somewhere that a woman fishing found a woman's ponytail holder with hair in it. But I don't know if that was related or not. But on June 9, 2003, a human bone was found, followed by 26 more. They were all within a 1,000-foot diameter of a circle, with most of them within a 500-foot circle. They were a long walk from the nearest road. The bones were sent in for DNA testing, and it was confirmed that they belonged to Molly Bish. Due to the scattering of the bones, police believed that she had been buried in a shallow grave and it had been disturbed by animals, because they don't find the rest of her bones. Mm-hmm. This is just five miles from where she went missing and only a couple of miles from her family home. They were unable to determine a cause of death, but did say that the material that we found indicated no blunt trauma, no bullet wounds, or anything of that nature. They also stated, we think we found the spot where she was murdered. I believe we do have the murder scene. Are we positive? No. But we're working on the assumption that that's where she was killed. I wonder why that would be their assumption. Because they're assuming she was taken from the pond and then taken to that spot and killed there. But she could have easily have been killed anywhere and then dumped there too. This is also in a place where hunters are around. So taking her to this area to kill her could have gotten them caught. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that police actually stated that they believe she was killed there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I Mm -hmm. wonder what it was. So on August 2nd, 2003, she was buried on what would have been her 20th birthday. Mm -hmm. Ugh. I don't like that. Fuck. So she was buried in a mahogany casket topped by a single yellow rose. The family said, Molly has come home, and we are deeply saddened but grateful that we could bring her
0: back home. Yeah, and Reverend Daniel Becker who presided over the ceremony, said, Molly was born to her parents' West Warren Ranch home, weighing in at 10 pounds, 4 ounces, and most of that was heart. Her friends read poems and reminisced about good times like sleepovers, trips to the mall, and favorite songs. And she was buried next to her grandmother. Fuck. Fuck. God. I literally can't. No parent should ever have to outlive their children. Oh. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it.
1: So they believe that their killer was most likely between the age of 18 and 50. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Super helpful, guys. And was familiar with the area. They also believe that he was most likely a hunter or a fisherman and most likely had a history of violence against women. Really just like right on the mark. Real-
0: yeah. Not helpful. None of that is surprising at all. One interesting article that I found was from the Boston Herald, and what I found was a quote from the Boston Herald, and when I actually tried to go to the article, it had been removed. Interesting. Yeah, so basically it said that the DA wanted to review a 48-hour segment on Bish's case, and this was reported by the Associated Press on Thursday, August 7, 2003. So, Worcester County's district attorney wants producers from the CBS television show 48 Hours to turn over a videotape that was shot for a program about Molly Bish. The footage showed a hunter and a private researcher finding a piece of what might have been the strap from a bathing suit that Molly Bish wore when she vanished. So, Miguel Sancho, producer of the 48 Hours, said that the network is fighting the subpoena. We're resisting the subpoena and we've filed a motion and a brief, he told the Worcester newspaper. Representatives from the program did not immediately return a telephone call to the Associated Press. District Attorney John Conte did not return a telephone call to explain why he wants the videotape. Some of the videotape shows former police officer Timothy McGugan Now, remember, he was the friend of the hunter, Ricky, who had originally found the bathing suit. Hmm. So he's in this footage that they want for some reason. Now, McGugan has been researching the disappearance of Bish and Holly, who is a 10-year-old Grafton girl that was abducted a decade ago. He led police in May to the spot in the Palmer Woods where Bordeaux, his buddy had found the first piece of bathing suit about six months ago. Now, in July, a 48-hours crew filmed the area where the bathing suit was first discovered. And during the taping, Berdue uncovered another piece of material that likely came from the garment. So, like a strap or something. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not sure if this was turned over to police. I'm not sure what happened with this. Like I said, the original article, I couldn't find it. Yeah, it's gone. But it sounds like this camera crew went back to the spot and possibly found another piece of material or maybe staged it for views or for whatever. I'm not really sure. It's crazy either way. Now, Tim, the former police officer who's writing the book, he did refuse a lie detector test. Weird maybe so he's a former cop he knows how unreliable lie detector uh-huh. tests are maybe that's why he doesn't want to take one but i think it
1: looks more suspicious if you don't yeah so this is a piece of advice if somebody the police if you're called in to do a lie detector test it looks way more fucking suspicious if you refuse the test then than than you, you, you fail it
0: 100 because
1: yep. if you take it and you fail it then in my head that's like okay well any factor could have really caused you to fail it. like honestly like you might not even be guilty if you fail a lie detector test like you could literally just be nervous about being in a police station right but declining a lie detector test makes you look guilty yes yep. 100% just saying just from just from some true crime i wouldn't call us experts but but we've seen a lot of people look real guilty yeah
0: that looks guilty <laughs> tim I know. looks guilty and tim should know being a former cop that that would look guilty
1: well Tim has a lot of little marks that are coming up as
0: suspicious. Okay, so the next thing that I want to talk about is the Molly Bish and the Holly Peranian connection. Now, I have a lot more trouble with this than others, but it's pretty wild. For the sake of the episode, we are going to tell you about it. Yes. So Holly Peranian was snatched off the streets in August of 1993. So this is before Molly Bish goes missing. Mm -hmm. Her and her family were visiting her grandparents' house in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. They had gone to a neighbor's house to see the new puppies. Her brother returned without her. And the only thing that they would find is her red tennis shoe on the side of the road. On October 23, 1993, Holly's remains were found by hunters in Brimfield, Massachusetts. Okay, so they have the woods in common. Yep. Her case is still unsolved, but the two were only about 10 miles from each other. Now, we do have a very big age gap, though. Okay. Right? We have a 10-year-old versus a 16-year-old. Okay, yeah. To me, that's a very, very different victimology. And yes, maybe it's a crime of opportunity, but I feel like the pond with Molly Was not a crime of opportunity. But what if Holly was a crime of opportunity? Well, 100% she could have been. But you never know. Big age gap for me. I don't know. And then I read that Holly's grandmother, Maureen, heard the name Molly Ambish on the news when she went missing. And she thought that it sounded familiar. She immediately went to Holly's things where she found a letter from Molly. So... When Holly, the 10-year-old, went missing, Molly, who was also 10 years old at the time, wrote a letter to the Perinian family. Now, she did this at the behest of her pastor at their church. He had suggested that the congregation write letters to support the family because they lived so close Mm -hmm. by. And this is what Molly wrote. She wrote, My name is Molly Bish. I am 10 years old. Someday I would like to come see you. I am very sorry. I wish I could make it up to you. Holly is a very pretty girl. She is almost as tall as me. I wish I knew Holly, and I hope they find her. Find signed the letter with love and several X's and O's for hugs and kisses, and enclosed a picture of herself and her family. So this little girl, Holly, goes missing, and another little girl the same age in a neighboring county writes a letter of support to the family, and then... Years later, later, goes missing herself. She is abducted. And not only abducted herself, but also found in neighboring woods nearby. Was all of Holly's family looked into and proven that they weren't part of it? Well, and I kind of thought along those lines as well. Like, could whoever took... Holly have somehow had access to this letter and the picture of well, Molly. That's why I was thinking family members. Right. Well, it could have been a, it could have been a neighbor that was there when they got the letter. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But could it have been somebody that had been involved in Holly's disappearance and then had a fascination with Molly and had this picture of her at the same age, in the age preference that they have, and just took longer to act on it? hmm Who knows? Who knows? Holly's grandma said, I couldn't believe it, she said, fighting tears. I found the letter right away, like it was meant to be. It seemed like a sign to me that they are together now. Oh, my God. Maureen called the Bishes to offer her support and comfort, and she also gave them Molly's letter. And at some point, Holly's family also gives Molly's family two kittens, and they name them Hope and Justice. It hurts. God... It's just so, so awful. Oh, one more thing that I thought was kind of strange, and I don't know, I didn't look terribly far into this case, but in November of 2002, so two years after Molly Bish goes missing, two bodies are found. They belong to 16-year-old April Church and 17-year-old Jamie Snow. Their bodies are found near where Holly's body is found. Police initially looked at the possible connection to Holly's case, but couldn't find anything that connected them. Okay. So now we have two teenage girls who are the same age, basically, as Molly, who also go missing and are murdered, and their bodies are found near where Holly's body was found. So that's like one more weird little connection, which there was actually an arrest and a conviction in that case. So I'm wondering, could he have been responsible for the Molly Bish or even Holly's murders? We don't know. Okay, so in 2007, Robert Bruno was named a suspect after
1: he tried to abduct and assault a jogger in Brimfield, which is a few miles from Warren. And he also matches the suspect description. Right, but they are never able to tie him to Molly. Then we go into another suspect. So then the suspect in 2009 was Rodney Stranger. He lived in Southbridge, Massachusetts and had moved to Florida the year after Molly disappeared. And he had had access to a white car when living there. It belonged to his brother Randy who
0: also moved to Florida. Yeah, and kind of a strange thing. His brother had been living in a tent in the woods where Holly Peranian's body was found. Here's what I'm wondering is, could the two brothers had been working together? Yeah. Right? Now, Rodney was also known to fish at the pond where Molly went missing, and he hunted near where her body was found. And guess what? He also resembled the sketch of the man in the white car. Another strange coincidence is that he lived close to the
1: YMCA, where Molly got her lifeguard certification.
0: Yeah, and her dad would drop her off for that, and sometimes he wouldn't be there to pick her up right away, and she would walk to his work instead, because he worked nearby there. So, could that have been when Molly was first targeted? Yeah. Now, he came under suspicion, you guys, after murdering his girlfriend, Crystal Morrison, and he stabbed her 39 times, almost decapitating her. Jeez. She had called her sister after not speaking to her for 20 years and said that she thought her boyfriend was going to kill her and told her sister she needed the number for the Massachusetts State Police. And she said that she needed to talk to them about some murders. Right? And then she was murdered? Now, her sister said that she had a bird making noise in the background and that Crystal asked her multiple times about the bird's name? And her sister was like, how did you already forget? I told you my bird's name is Molly. So after her sister was murdered, she started thinking maybe she was trying to tell her something by continuing to ask the bird's name. It does seem like a crazy coincidence to me that her sister's bird's name happens to be Molly. I don't know. That seems weird to me. When Crystal's sister goes to clear out the house... After the murder, she finds Rodney's wallet and said that his picture in the wallet, which is on his um, Hunter's ID, which he had renewed in Massachusetts just a couple months before Molly went missing. She said that the picture was a dead ringer for the sketch in the Molly Bish case. And she's the one that actually called and notified the police because she was like, whoa, this looks like the guy. Yeah. Suspicious. In the sketch. Right. Then... Not only that, when she was cleaning out the oh, place, God, I don't like this. She found a bag of children's hair clips. Yeah, and she says these are not something her sister would have worn. They're like little kid hair clips. She also turned over a safety deposit key to police, but we have no idea if police found anything in the box. Of course.
1: And he was also questioned in the Holly
0: Perinian case. Yep. There was a private investigator named Tom that the family had hired, and he actually went to go see Rodney in prison. And when he showed him a picture of Molly, he said that the man refused to look at it. He's sounding pretty good, right? He, I know. Tell me... You're telling me he <sighs> didn't kill Molly. And then, in 2011, Gerald Bettistoni, or confidential informant number 62 was named as a suspect in the Molly Bish murder. He had served time for raping a teenage girl in the early 1990s, and he had raped the daughter of his girlfriend something like 100 times.
1: Jesus, fuck.
0: Now, his girlfriend lived on the same road that Molly's body was found, and he attempted suicide in prison after being identified as a potential suspect in the Molly Bish and Holly Perenian murders. He actually tried to slit his own throat. Well, you know what happens to pedophiles in prison? Well, and that's what I'm wondering. Was this a guilty thing or was this a, I don't want to get the shit beat out of me every day? I can't live through what's going to happen to me in prison. Like, I could see it going either way. Right. Now, he had been in the area where Molly was found and also resembled the sketch. His wife said that after Molly went missing, he shaved his mustache and stopped going places. He had been working on her car the day that Molly went missing, and that car was a white Chrysler. He had taken it on a long test drive, she said, and he was also a smoker, but he died in prison in November of 2014. Okay, so either A, (laughs) multiple men
2: were
1: working together on this case, or B, everyone's just acting suspicious as shit. Well, which one is it? Why are all these men acting so suspicious? I don't know. Shaving their mustache. Like, what the fuck
0: is happening? Also, don't have a mustache. I don't know. No. Now, in 2013, a new racetrack is being dug out in the woods where Molly had been found. Police actually informed construction workers on what to look for in case they ran into anything. And cadaver dogs were brought out in case any scents were released into the air. So I think the family at this point is hoping, well, maybe we'll actually find her then because they're going to dig all of this up. The family does release an open letter to Molly's killer on August 2 of 2013, and this would have been Molly's 30th birthday.
1: I'm not reading this.
0: I found a video of her mom reading the letter on the Molly Bish Foundation website, and here
2: it is. To the man who took Molly Bish, does June 27, 2000, mean anything to you? I remember it as a warm summer day. We left home, we picked up the police radio, and then we arrived at the pond. The sand truck was there. We watched, mesmerized like little children, as the sand fell gently to the ground. Molly and Mom, for the last time. Molly said, goodbye, I love you, and ran off. It was her eighth day on her new job as a lifeguard. That was the last time I saw or heard from my Molly. I have held those words wrapped around my heart to sustain it from breaking into a million broken pieces.
0: And that's just part of the letter, too. It's actually a little bit longer, but how incredibly heartbreaking. So it's also on this day that they bury... Molly's remains. And her dad would say, She came on that day and we'll say goodbye to her on that day. It would be a special day to say she's gone back. Her mom said, Now we're feeling the sadness, the reality. When you have to call a funeral home and you talk to the police about when her bones will be released, it's unimaginable. John even mentions, John's her dad, he even mentions the tongue piercing that they found, by the way, with her remains. It's one of the few things that they did find. That he remembered taking her to get the piercing and said that it was conditional that she agreed not to get any tattoos until she was 45. Oh, and they found her tongue ring on June 13, the day before Father's Day. Jesus. It hurts my heart. They made plans for her funeral to be at a cathedral in Worcester where they plan to release hundreds of butterflies. And you guys, she was also buried with her prom dress. Because she had just gone to prom. I literally can't handle this.
1: In 2014, across the street from where Molly was found, a private investigator found a partially buried bag underneath a log in the woods. Inside was a pair of plaid boxer shorts, similar to the ones that Molly was wearing over her bathing suit the day she went missing. Also in 2014, Timothy McGrugan the man who led police to the bathing suit, sues for the reward money.
0: Yeah, so he was denied the $100,000 reward. And it's because the district attorney said that they were very clear that the reward money was for information leading to an arrest and conviction of Molly's abductor not to find her remains.
1: Um. Yeah, also, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, I'm you sorry. You fucking dick. I know, I can't handle it.
1: Are you kidding me? You don't get the reward
0: money? So you're going to sue Now, in 2017, police announced compelling information in the case. So it goes like this. There's a tip about the West Brookfield campground where it was said that the white car involved in Molly's abduction was buried. Ground penetrating radar was used and several anomalies were found. It was said that a man living at the campground at the time of Molly's disappearance had owned the white car. A witness said that he had shown up at the campground with scratches on his face after being gone all night and said that something bad had happened in the woods. Now, I couldn't find anything that said whether or not they found a car, so I'm assuming they did not find the car Mm -hmm. in the campground. Also, it wasn't clear when he showed up with scratches on his face, but I'm assuming it was when Molly went missing. Mm -hmm. So kind of an interesting thing. It did turn into kind of like a big circus yeah this whole trying to find the car thing in 2019
1: new testing has been done on the evidence in the case and police are hopeful that that
0: a dna profile can be obtained from it yeah i'm thinking maybe the bathing suit now in 2021 francis p sumner senior or frank was named as a suspect in the murder of molly bish we're just going to keep on throwing more people Out there, right? This man died in 2016. Right. So when he's named as a suspect, he is long dead. He's dead. But he was active in central Massachusetts from 1960 to 2016. He operated an auto repair shop in the Spencer and Worcester areas. He served time for aggravated rape and kidnapping and also served time for probation violation. He had been paroled two years before Molly's disappearance. So he had recently gotten out on parole when she went missing.
1: He was also a left-handed
0: smoker. Just like the man that Maggie had seen in the car. Aren't most smokers left-handed smokers? No? I hold everything with my right hand. But here's the thing. If you were in a car smoking, the cigarette's going to be in your left hand. Because oh. you're going to want it by the window.
1: Oh, yeah. 100% out the window. Never mind. That's not a big deal. Okay. If so- I was smoking in a car, I'd hold it in my left hand to Keep
0: it near the window. Right. Especially if you're ashing out the window. I kind of am a tiny, tiny bit concerned that maybe this guy sitting in the parking lot smoking his cigarette, maybe before work, maybe on a break, I don't know what he's doing, has nothing to do with Molly Bish and only served to distract law enforcement and the entire population from her real killer. Because what if it was somebody she knew? What if it was somebody who looks nothing like that sketch? But that's all that people are looking for. Yep. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. So one thing that I kind of wanted to look at was the timeline. So if she's dropped off at 9.58, and we know this because we've seen it in the gas station surveillance that she was there at 9.56, right? She has time to set up. She puts down her towel, her whistle. She takes off her shoes. First child shows up at 10.20. So say it took her a few minutes to set up everything. There's about 18 minutes for her to go missing. Now, she always radioed in to the police station, first thing. But on this day, she doesn't. So I'm thinking that whatever happened happened right after she finished setting up her stuff. Now, there's really not a lot of time no. for somebody to pull something off in this situation. But they did. But they did somehow. I don't even know. One thing we're not sure about is... In 2001, Union News said that screams were heard at the pond that morning, but there were no signs of a struggle. That was the only place I could find anywhere where it said somebody heard a scream. Interesting. So whether or not anybody heard her scream, I don't know. I'm imagining if somebody did actually hear screams, then they would have been more concerned in the initial hours of the search. Mm -hmm. But maybe that person didn't come forward until later. Yeah, yeah,
1: Maybe it was later.
0: But I would say it's probably pretty likely that whoever abducted her was actually parked in the cemetery lot and not at the pond since nobody else saw any other cars. Yeah. I think it's likely that they were faking some sort of injury and that Molly was trying to help them. I just find it crazy that this case is still unsolved, that a killer can get away with this for so long. So long. So long. And not just Molly Bish. I mean, there are a ton of cases in this area that are unsolved.
1: I mean, it's been like 21 years since her.
0: Yeah. And then you add in Maura Murray, Breanne Maitland, like all these other people who have gone missing, and we have no idea where they are. Her parents have really done an amazing job in their grief, though. I mean, they established the Molly Bish Foundation and Lifeguard Center, They are devoted to promoting child safety through education and prevention. When Molly went missing, the family was actually scrambling for a recent picture of her, and they actually started a program where they have distributed over 125,000 complimentary child identification kits at elementary schools. They have also hosted child safety events. Uh, They are members of Team Hope. After bringing her home, they make plans to fill the
1: above-ground pool That had fallen into despair since Molly went missing.
0: Right. And Molly loved this pool. And I think that's part of why her parents couldn't bear to maintain it or see it. Like they had like a hill next to the pool and she would actually run from the hill and jump into the pool. And her parents said that the image of this was so vivid. So her dad said, that's why the pool is falling apart. I haven't been able to touch it. Jesus. Now, there are many, many outlets that have reported on this case. Disappeared, America's Most Wanted, Unsolved Mysteries, 48 Hours. You can find some version of the Molly Bish story on everything. On everything. everywhere. It's also on a ton of podcasts. Like I said, though, I was really surprised how much more information there was out there that I hadn't heard. But if you have any information on the Molly Bish case, please call the Massachusetts State Police at 508-453-7575.
1: I cannot believe this case hasn't been solved.
0: I know. So that is the case of Molly Bish. Yeah. Whew. Um, and this case was recommended by J.E. Fitz.
1: If you also want to hear more about the Holly in case, we are going to do her full episode on oh.
0: Patreon. Yep. And... That story's pretty crazy, too. It's amazing how many of the same suspects come uh, yeah, into are, in both. are weaved into both. yeah. So if you want to come hear that, it's gonna be a mini on our patreon. We're also gonna click over and do our bunker talk on the Molly Bish case. So if you want to hear that, come and join us on Patreon. Also go check out our merchandise at Teespring. We have a link in our bio on Instagram. Uh, we'll put a link in this episode as well. And remember, if we get to 40 units sold by the end of the month, you guys get an extra bonus Patreon episode. Yes. Yay. So go and check that out. If you get any merchandise, make sure you take pictures and post them on your stories and tag us so that we can post them on our stories. And we really, really appreciate you guys supporting us by doing that. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much. And we will see you next week. Bye.
1: Sorry, I literally don't know why I just had to yawn.
0: Because you knew it was your turn and it would annoy me if you did? I swear to God, my body (laughs) like subconsciously does this. Literally, I can talk for five minutes and then the second... The second it's Maddie's turn to talk, she, like, needs to yawn or adjust or do something. And I'm like, "Why are you doing? It's all subconscious. I don't do any of it on
1: purpose. I'm like, did you really just take a bite of food right before it was time for you to talk? I mean— okay, Well, that's always accidental. This is different, <laughs> though. My yawning—subconscious. So you,
0: you do think you're doing it on purpose? No. Just subconsciously, but you are doing it on purpose. That would I imply. think so. Yeah, I think so, too.
1: I I don't think it can be an accident. Okay, look first off, look at the spider bite. I thought that was a hive. Yeah, but feel it. It's 100% a spider bite. Mm. Yeah, it does feel like a spider bite. It's hard and it oozes all the time. Okay. <laughs> That's so funny that he's just so our cat has a little goose, the white cat, for the people who know the cat. Yeah. The cat's he has a Injury, on an his injury, neck. which I'm gonna assume that he just got injured while playing with his brother because they aggressively play with each other like I was siblings thinking do. that
0: Mystic swiped it
1: either way. Someone he has a little gash, like a little, just like a, it was probably small, but I'm sure he's kicked, he keeps kicking at it, making it bigger, making it bleed. He's also a white cat, so his blood is it's terrifying, so obvious when he's injured because
0: he like dyes the surrounding fur red and oh, then it so just it's yeah. so. We were like freaking out yesterday over it because he had just scratched it open and there was like blood everywhere and we were like, oh my god, he's gonna die and he's just running around like, like nothing, like it's
1: nothing. It's not even that big. It's like literally the size of a dime yeah. on his neck, but it bleeds like crazy. So right now we have a little like, a it's a one of those sweatbands. Yeah, it's a sweatband, like a child's sweatband that it's I phoenixes <laughs> that I put over his I had to like stretch it out to get over his head but then his neck is so little that it doesn't even like (laughs) cinch his neck and it's just sitting on his neck and he looks like a giraffe with it on he looks very
0: fancy it's super fun, but, but he doesn't seem to mind. No, is.
1: he's just living with it on right now. Yeah, we'll
0: see how it works. We'll let you know. We're
1: trying to we'll post a picture. We're trying to find things that will make it so our cat can't kick at his neck without actually taking him to the vet and getting him like. <laughs> right. On. I don't want to. I really don't want to pay two hundred dollars for me to tell them that I just need to go buy a cone. I know, right?
0: Ugh. And it's in. It's kind of low on his neck too, so I don't even know. That I don't a even cone think a would cone help. would yeah. do anything. I think he'd still be able to kick it, but. Okay.